Shades Mountain, what an honor it is to be with you this morning. As Pastor George said, my name is Ben Baber and I am pumped to open the word of God with you this morning. As we get started, I want to throw a quote on the screen. Does anybody know where this quote is from? Raise your hand if you do. All right, I see some people out there. Yes, if you don't know, this is a quote from February 22nd, 1980. And we're in Lake Placid, New York, and the United States hockey team was getting ready to take on the Soviet Union. The Soviets had won five out of the last six gold medals, and so they were the clear, the, the clear victors here. The U.S., they were the, the underdog. They were way overmatched. But if you know the story, you know that the U.S. would go on to beat the Soviet Union in one of the most iconic upsets in sports history. In the final seconds of the game, Al Michael, the sports anchor for ABC, shouted the, the quote that we saw earlier, do you believe in miracles? Yes. It's like the greatest sports quote of all time. Everybody knows that one. It's incredible. And while the miracle on ice, as it came to be known, was amazing, there might be something even more legendary than that quote. The coach, Herb Brooks, gave an incredible speech before the game. In a 2004 movie, Kurt Russell reenacted this speech and it solidified it as one of the greatest speeches of all time. Here are some of the things that Kurt Russell, who was playing Herb Brooks, said to the team before they would go out and play the Soviets. He said, great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight, one game. If we played them 10 times, it might win nine. But not this game, not tonight. Tonight, we skate with them. Tonight, we stay with them and we shut them down because we can. Tonight, we are the greatest hockey team in the world. You were born to be hockey players, every one of you. And you were meant to be here tonight. This is your time. Their time is done. Their time is over. I'm sick and tired of hearing about what a great hockey team the Soviets have. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I was sitting in that locker room and someone said that to me, I would have gotten real fired up, right? I would have felt like I could run through about 10 brick walls. I would have been so pumped up. And what is it that he said that got these players fired up? He tells them who they are. He tells them where they can find their hope. And he tells them to go out there and do what they were born to do, and that's exactly what we're gonna see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. If you were with us last week, you'll remember that Pastor George talked about Jesus being the living stone who was rejected by men, but chosen and precious in the sight of God, and how we as believers are being built into a spiritual building, not a literal building, but a spiritual building, a gathered people, the church. And in Herb Brooks, fashion, the apostle Peter is going to tell the people of God who they are, where they can find their hope, and to go out and do, as Pastor George told us last week, to be the church that the world longs for. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll read verse 6 through 10. And as we do here as Shades, if I could have you stand with me. We stand at the reading of God's word, because the word of God is the only unshakable foundation upon which the people of God stand. So let me read for us this morning. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, 
a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You may be seated. This is an incredible reminder to us of who we are, what our hope is in, and the mission that God invites us into. If there's anything that I want you to hear today, it's that the Christ-built people of God are made for his mission. Let me say that again. The Christ-built people of God are made for his mission. And so what are we gonna be looking at? We're gonna look at two things. First, the chosen cornerstone. The chosen cornerstone. Secondly, the people for his mission, the people for God's mission. Now, I do want to warn you that Peter is all up in the Old Testament in these five verses. He's all up in there. There are three Old Testament quotes and three Old Testament allusions here. And so why is it important for us to point that out? Because one of the beautiful things that you're going to see today is that the Old Testament is not disconnected from the New Testament. It's not disconnected. In fact, the New Testament is fulfilling what the Old Testament is promising. And we're going to see just that as we move into verse six, the chosen cornerstone, verse six, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter is quoting Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. This is a passage from the Old Testament. Peter, the, the Isaiah was telling people about a coming Messiah, a promised deliverer. And what does he say that this promised deliverer will be like? He says that it would be like a stone laid in Zion, a chosen stone, a cornerstone that was precious. And so let's break this down a little bit. What is Zion? What is Zion? Well, there is a Mount Zion, but typically in the Old Testament, when we think of Zion, we think of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city where God's people lived. Jerusalem was the place where God put his people to live. So Zion is the city of God and it's a real place. All right. So also in the Old Testament, we think of Zion figuratively as the people of God the people of God. But in the New Testament, Zion refers to God's spiritual kingdom. And so Peter is using this quote from the Old Testament in the New, and he's saying that we are being built up into this people, or as verse four says, built up with living stones to build God's spiritual kingdom. And who is this cornerstone? It's the person that Peter walked with for three years. It's Jesus, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And now the idea of a physical cornerstone may not resonate with us as much as it would have in the first century. 
But a cornerstone was incredibly important. It's the most incredibly important stone in the entire building project. Why? The first thing is it determines where the building is. Okay, so if, if I lay a cornerstone right here and then I start to build a project over here, how many buildings do I now have? Two, right? Because the cornerstone anchors the building. It determines where the building is. The second thing is the cornerstone determines what the building looks like. Imagine you were building a house and, and you were talking to the contractor and they laid the first stone. They said, we think we're gonna switch the stones. You may have a weird looking house. You might be upset about that, right? Because the cornerstone determines what the building will look like. And so when God said through the prophet Isaiah that he was going to lay a cornerstone as a sure foundation in Zion, he was letting the people know about the spiritual building that Peter is talking about in verse five, a building with Christ as its foundation made of living stones. And this cornerstone, it was chosen. It was precious. It was the only one that could be laid because it was the only one that was perfect and without blemish. And whoever believes in him, this living stone, what does it say? They will not be put to shame. Peter assures his readers here that no one who believes in Christ will be put to shame. We're gonna pick this idea up here in verse seven and eight. They say this, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. See, the, the first thing we see is the preciousness that was given to Christ is now given to those who believe in him. Verse seven says that if they believe, there is honor for them. But then it says this, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so Peter is quoting Psalm 118 verse 22 here. Psalm 118 22 was talking about the rejection of a stone, but it wasn't by the people of God. It was by the foreign nations around the people of God, and they assured their destruction by rejecting the stone. But interestingly enough, Jesus himself and Peter both applied this passage to a different group of people. They don't apply it to the foreign nations. They apply it to the religious leaders of Israel. And so here, the religious leaders of Israel thought they were building God's building, but ultimately they would reject the foundation upon which the, the, that God wanted them to build the building. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the, the TV show Undercover Boss. Anybody seen that one? Yep, it's kind of good. Okay, it's, it's a great show. It's, it's pretty funny. What happens in that show is the CEO of a major company will dress up in this crazy disguise and they go out and they work with their frontline employees. And most of the time, the employees don't know who it is. And, and a lot of times, the employees start to show their tail. They are really kind of mean. And like they treat the CEO very badly. And so at the end of the show, the CEO then invites them into their office and nine times out of 10, those people realize they have made a grave mistake. They have made a terrible choice. So that's kind of what's happening here. Jesus comes as the undercover boss to work with these religious leaders. 
They're supposed to be working for God. And he's like, hey, guys, let me tell you how God is gonna build this building. They're like, nah, we got this. And we don't need your help, Jesus. We don't need you. And unfortunately, what will happen to them, like it will happen to everybody, is if they reject the stone, they will come face to face with Jesus one day and he will say, why did you reject me? Why did you reject me? See, the ones who reject him, they are the ones who do not believe. The latter part of verse eight says this of them. They stumble because they disobey the word. Peter is extremely clear. Those who reject Jesus, those who do not believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they will face judgment. One commentator talks about the rejection of the stone as as giving us a mental image of two different building projects. We have one that was being built by men. Then we have another being built by God. The one being built by men, if they reject the cornerstone, it just falls to the ground. It just crumbles. Because the only building that will stand the test of time is the spiritual house built with Christ as its cornerstone, made of living stones. You can either join him or you can trip over him, but you cannot step over him. That's exactly what Peter shows us, that when looking upon Christ, people have a choice. People can either choose Christ or they can reject Christ. They can reject him and they stumble and fall just like we would see with the man-built tower. This is the most important thing about you. You either are with Christ and have received him or you reject Christ. And if you reject him, you don't get the privilege of being a part of the eternal spiritual building. This rejection, it can look many different ways. It can be an outright rejection. We we know people who outright reject God, but it can also be rejecting Christ as Lord. Maybe, you know, we've prayed a prayer and we said, you know, I've chosen, I've chosen Christ, but now I just kind of want to live my own way. If that's you, you've not chosen Christ. You disobey the word. And that means that we're not actually a part of the people of God. And what do I mean by this? I want to put a picture up here on the screen. What do we see here? We see a throne and the S represents self, self sitting on the throne of your life. If you are sitting on the throne of your life, you are deciding what you do. You are directing your life. But the scripture is clear, you've rejected Jesus. And notice I'm not saying you have to be perfect. That's not what this is about. But you do have to submit to Jesus as Lord to show evidence of having chosen him. But for those who are in Christ, here's another picture. Who is on the throne now? Christ. Christ is on the throne of their life. Christ directs their life. One might say that Christ is the cornerstone upon which their life is built. And maybe you need to wrestle with this question this morning. When you see these thrones, who is sitting on the throne of your life? Is Christ the most precious stone in your life or have you rejected him and made him a stumbling block? And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, Ben, I just keep getting frustrated. I keep getting frustrated. Every time I want to get up and and run, I just feel like I'm falling. 
I feel like I'm stumbling, like I'm tripping. Maybe it's because you have placed yourself on the throne of your life. Maybe you have chosen self to be on the throne. But the good news is that Jesus makes a way for you to choose him. And when you choose him, when you receive Jesus, you receive incredible privileges. We're gonna see that in verse nine through 10, the people for his mission. Verse nine says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Church, this is who you are. This is who you are. Peter gives us five descriptions here about the people of God. They are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, and a people who have received mercy. What an unbelievably beautiful thing for us to hear this morning if we are in Christ. It's amazing. But before we jump into each of these descriptions, I think it's important for us to point out that I believe the Bible would be a whole lot clearer to read if they let someone from the South write it. You might be saying, oh gosh, where's he going with this? I mean, I'm just saying, maybe, maybe I'll point it out to you why. Because verse nine starts with, but you. However, if a Southerner would have written it, what would it say? But y'all. It would say, but y'all. That's because yes here is plural. Funny enough, you may have heard of the you version Bible app, but there is in fact a y'all version Bible app. I'm serious, you should check it out, it's kind of funny. But why does that matter? Because often in our 21st century mind, we wanna individualize everything. We wanna make it about ourselves. And this isn't just talking about you specifically, but it's talking about us. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for his own possession and we are a people who have received mercy. See, we can't individualize this. And why can't we individualize it? Because then we lose sight of the fact that we're a part of a team. We lose sight of the fact that, that we're a part of a family. Look to the person sitting next to you. They're a part of your church family. You are not alone. You have people who will go out into the harvest with you and labor with you. We're not alone, folks. And that should bring us great comfort living as exiles in a fallen world. Earlier, we talked about the beauty of the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we certainly see that here in verse nine and 10. Each of these descriptors are things that God has already spoken over Israel in the Old Testament. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. But as we've talked about here before, Israel wasn't great at this. But Peter does a beautiful job of connecting the Christian to what one commentator calls the whole heritage of the Old Testament. And so now these descriptors are true of the New Testament church. And why is that important? 
because it points out that God's mission has always been his mission. There is no new mission. And what is God's mission? That he would have a redeemed people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered to himself in a place that he created for them that they would glorify him and enjoy him forever. This is God's mission. It's important for us to recognize the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. Don't miss that. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. And what is true about the people of this church? First, we are a chosen race. God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43 that he alone would be Israel's savior. He's saying that in reference to them being rescued out of their Babylonian captivity. It was a time where they were living in exiles, but God rescued them. If you remember, Peter has also likened his readers to exiles. And and why is he reminding them of this? Because we serve a God who delivers his people. He rescues his people. And this should bring great comfort to a people who are living in a place where they are being rejected. You guys have all tried out for something probably, right? We tried out for a sports team. Maybe you tried out for a band. Maybe you had a job interview. And because you've tried out for something, I can assume that you have been rejected. And if you haven't, I certainly have. I have tasted the defeat of rejection and it is the worst. But if you have tried out for something, then you probably, and more importantly, know what it feels like to be chosen. God chooses his people. And why did God choose and form Israel? Isaiah 43, 21 says that they might declare his praise. The people of God have been formed to go and tell the world of their mighty God. And now Peter is saying, church, this is your job. The church of Jesus Christ, the chosen race are to go and declare the mighty works of our good God. That's amazing. But I also want to point this out. Being a part of this chosen race has nothing to do with your skin color. It has nothing to do with your ethnicity. It has nothing to do with where you were born or how much money you have. It has all to do with your union with Christ. Church, we are a chosen race. Secondly, we are a royal priesthood. Before we jump into this, we might need to ask the question, what is a priest? Well, what is a priest? Well, in the Old Testament, the priests had the role of mediating between God and his people. They were to go between God and the people. So where is Peter picking up this idea of a royal priesthood? Again, we got to go back to the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 19, God told Moses, Moses was one of the leaders of the people of Israel. God told Moses that he was to remind the people of how he had brought them out of Egypt. Again, this is another instance where God delivers his people from bondage. That's the God that we have. He's, he says, remind the people that I brought them out of Egypt. And then these are his exact words that they're supposed to say to them. In Exodus nineteen six. he tells them that they shall be to me a kingdom of priests and what? A holy nation. 
Does that sound familiar? Yes. Because in Exodus 19, we see that the people of God, they not only had priests who would go between them and God, but that the whole people were to become a kingdom of priests mediating between God and the nations. They were supposed to go between God and the nations. The nations were supposed to know who God was through the people Israel. But like we've said before, they didn't do a very good job with that. But that's what makes it so amazing that when we, the church, and the people in the church are chosen by God, we are then brought into his mission and we are invited to go and tell the nations, to go be a light to the nations. And I hope you're seeing this morning that, that God's mission isn't just kind of sprinkled around in the Bible a little bit. No, it's a central theme of the Bible. It's a central theme. Revelation 5, 9 through 10 shows that in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be a people that Christ has ransomed by his blood. And they'll be from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. Verse 10 tells us that Christ will have built these people into a kingdom of priests. And it says that they shall reign on the earth. This is your inheritance. This is your inheritance, church. God doesn't just save us from our sin and then leave us there. No, he invites us into his house and he calls us his children and he calls us his sons and his daughters and we are invited into his mission to go out into the world and to tell the nations of how amazing he is. And so when we get to this Revelation 5, 9 reality, we will have a people from every tribe and language and people and nation worshiping at the feet of the lamb. I don't know about you, but I'm fired up to see that. This reminds us of the third thing, that we are a holy nation. What does holy mean? It means set apart. We are a people that are set apart by God for his purpose. And what is his purpose? What is his mission? We've said it before, to have a people gathered to himself from all nations in a place that he created for them, that they would glorify him and enjoy him forever. Listen to me. For those who are in Christ, we are a part of this holy nation. Finally, we see the last two descriptors here, four and five, and I'll take these together. We are a people for his own possession and a people who have received mercy. Peter is telling us here that we are a people who belong to God. We are a people who belong to God. The literal translation here is we are a people acquired. What happens when you acquire something? Maybe you had to buy it for a price. That's exactly what happened here. But that's where we see God's mercy. See, each of us was bought with a price. Each of us was bought with a price, and what was that price? It was the sinless, spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, who died on our behalf. See, we deserved death. In the natural, humans only want to choose themselves. We want to rebel against God. We want to run away from God. But man, God is good. And we see here in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together 
with Christ. For by grace, you have been saved. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been acquired. You have received mercy. And what do we go do with that? What do we go do with that? The end of verse nine tells us, we go and proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I don't know about you guys, but, but anytime anything good happens to me, the second that I get in the car, I gotta call my wife, Maggie. Y'all don't know her, she may be down here, she's right here. But I gotta call her because when, when good things happen, what do you gotta do? You gotta tell somebody. You gotta tell somebody. Anytime something good happens, you probably go and tell somebody. In church, being rescued from the clutches of death by Jesus is the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. You got to tell somebody. And that's what Peter is telling us that we were formed for. That's exactly why we were made into a people, to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into a kingdom of light. And so what are some truths that might be able to help you as you go and share Jesus with other people? There's an incredible book by Scott Hildreth and Steve McKinnon called Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. What a great title, right? You know, when you just like hit the nail on the head, I mean, they just, they, they were probably like, yeah, that's a great title. But without giving you the entire book, here are four truths kind of synthesized from the book about sharing Jesus with other people. First truth, if you are in Christ, you have everything you need to share Jesus with others. Second truth, your job isn't to make people Christians, it's to present Christianity clearly. Third truth, anywhere you can have a conversation is a place where you can share Jesus with others. Fourth truth, people are interested in meeting their needs. Knowing Jesus is the greatest need that they can ever have. It's the greatest need that they'll ever have. So let me boil this down. If you are in Christ, you have the spirit of the true and living God living inside of you. And because of that, you have everything you need to go and tell people about Jesus. And let me also remind you, you don't have to make them a Christian. You can't make them a Christian. Only the Holy Spirit will call people to Jesus. So it's not your job. Your job is to present Christianity clearly. And you may be saying, well, how do I do that? Just tell them what happened to you. What did Jesus do in your life? What did God rescue from? Tell them what happened to you. And since all it requires is words, then anywhere you can have a conversation is a place where you can share Jesus. And how do I know that you don't have to be scared? because people are interested in meeting their needs. And you know what their greatest need is. You know that their greatest need is Jesus. So introduce them to him. And so as we close this morning, we talked about how the Christ built people of God are made for his mission. And we broke that down by looking at the chosen cornerstone and the people for his mission. And and that presents us with Two real opportunities for response this morning. The first is in regard to the chosen cornerstone. Have you received him? Or have you rejected him? Are you standing firm on the chosen cornerstone or has he become a stumbling block to you? 
Peter is clear from scripture. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. But for those who do not believe, they will face judgment. Do you believe? And maybe the answer is that you haven't, but you want to. So we're gonna have our pastors and prayer team down here at the front as we respond. And, and we would love to start that conversation with you. There is nothing more than we love to talk about about than how to start a relationship with Jesus. So please, we ask you, if that's something that you're interested in, come to the front as we respond. Don't be like the builders who rejected the stone. They will face judgment. The second thing, maybe you have received the chosen cornerstone and, and, and you heard all of the incredible privileges that come along with that. And those are unbelievable privileges of the gospel. But as we learned today, the gospel is not meant for us to just hold on by ourselves and for ourselves, no. The gospel is good news that is meant to be shared with the nations. So I wanna ask you this morning, who do you need to tell about Jesus? Maybe somebody's coming to mind. When we pray, I want you to ask God to give you a real opportunity to tell them about the King of Kings. And maybe you're sitting there saying, you know, honestly, I don't have anybody coming to mind. And that's okay. Because when we pray, I want you to ask God to bring somebody to mind. I want, to, I want you to ask God to, to show you an opportunity that you may not even know exists yet. The other thing that we're supposed to do here as we may step toward the mission is here at Shades, we wanna do everything we can to provide you with every opportunity to participate in God's mission. Maybe that's connecting with Miles McKee, our city pastor, and finding out what it means to, to be involved in city ministry. Or maybe that's going on one of our short-term mission trips. We believe that God can do an amazing work in your life through a little bit of time on the field. We have a number of trips, both domestically and internationally, and we've still got spots on those teams. Whatever it is, we're gonna have a person right here at the front as we respond. And we would love for you to come and talk to them about getting involved with one of our local ministry partners or jumping on one of these mission teams. So there's two questions this morning. Have you received Jesus? And how will you step toward the mission? Church, God's mission is that he would have a people for himself from all nations who would be in the place that he created for them, glorifying him and enjoying him forever. And we, the people of God, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession who have received mercy and are now to go into all the world and proclaim of the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into a marvelous light. So to go back to our introduction from this morning, let me channel my inner Herb Brooks, maybe with some gospel edits. Shades Mountain, you have the greatest God in the universe and you were born for his mission. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for today. God, we thank you that you called us out of darkness, that you brought us into your kingdom of light and now you invite us to go out and call others. God, it is such a gift 
that we get to be a part of your people. It is such a gift that we get to, to be a part of your royal priesthood. God, it's amazing that you have acquired us. But God, it came at a cost. And for those who are in Christ, God, we know what that cost is. But God, this morning, if there is anybody in this room who has not received Jesus, the chosen cornerstone, God, I pray that this morning they would see that Jesus has done everything necessary for their salvation. God, I pray that they would give their life to Jesus that they would take themselves off the throne of their life and they would put Jesus on the throne of their life. And God, for the people in this room who have put Jesus on the throne of their life, God, would you prick their heart even now that they would be able to step toward your mission to an even greater degree. God, what are you calling them to? Right now, God, would you show them? God, we love you. We're grateful for you. God, we're thankful that you invite us into your mission so that one day, one day, we will get to sit at the feet of the lamb with people from every tribe, every tongue, in every nation and praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.